Hello and welcome to The Gallant Fuse 10 Questions, a show where we bring a different guest on each time to answer the set 10 questions on their time following Rangers. My name's Colin McDuff and I'm delighted to be joined this week by none other than Davy Pollock. Davy, how are you, mate? I'm smashing Colin and delighted to be on. Hopefully I share some of my nonsense with you. And no. just uh, rattle through them, obviously. I've had a wee think about coming up with something which uh, the, the chaps listening can relate to, so they're uh, ready when you are. Nah, no, I've been really looking forward to this, uh, just for a bit of background for the listeners, when uh, me and Davey first started speaking about getting them onto the pod, um, we uh, asked his number, he gave him a quick chat, uh, gave him a quick phone to chat through for the pod for five minutes, it was maybe, and then we got talking and 55 minutes later, I was still there listening to some of the brilliant stories he's got, so Davey, um, hope I've not built you up too much, but I've been looking forward to this, I knew for that day, this guy's got a tailor to about following Rangers. Yeah, I don't adjust, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I'm, obviously my name's David Paul, um, I was born in Cadence in Glasgow, so born in the tenement, you know, and uh, I'm one of six and five of us were born in the house, so that's just the way things were done then. It's only uh, my youngest sister who's actually got to one of those things which they later built hospitals, I think they're called. (laughs) So we, I mean, just, I was only there till I was about three or four, and and it was at that time, you know, not too far from Firhill, actually, we we, we stayed in Cadence. Uh, but obviously our heart lay elsewhere. We, when we were uh, younger, you know, my mum and dad had actually uh, arranged to to move to Australia, and we were within days of going to the Broomalaw to uh, get on the boat. It was that close, uh, but my mum uh, just at, at the last minute just kind of took cold feet and and says, "No, I'm, I'm." She wouldn't leave her mum, who can I stayed round the corner from us in Kilcarran, so. Uh, so we ended up, and we, bizarrely, my brother had a wee look on the interweb, and we can now actually have a look at the house in uh, Chularan in West Sydney, where we were moving to. So we actually had a house to go to. So wow. I've, I've now had a look at the house, which, I mean, it's it's the, 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 the original sliding doors moment, because we were only two days away from, from leaving. and But my mum was uh, never one to take the easy option, so we moved to Easter House instead. Which was Sydney to Easter House. That's a that's a come down and a half, isn't it? That was uh, <laughs> yeah, not the easy option, as I said. Yeah, yeah. My mum was some character. She uh, she had kind of a, a large. I, I bear the stamp of her, you know, in, in several ways. But I mean, just to give you a wee kind of indication of uh, of what my mum was like. I mean, in days gone by, when you know you you went to a dinner dance, she. Uh, she was off the one, and I think it was it was something to do with the, the local uh, street football team because Easter House was big in that with lots of football clubs. So it was some fundraising event. So her and my dad uh, trotted off in their finery. Uh, so they got there, and obviously there was a obligatory raffle, and uh, so she won the raffle, and the the prize in the, the raffle was a ball signed by all the Celtic players. So. It, it quite quickly became apparent, you know, to the, the people who had uh, held the raffle that uh, she wasn't of that persuasion. So <laughs> they, off- they then offered her, said, you know, would you like to exchange the ball, you know, for for an alcoholic drink, a bottle or something? She says, oh, no, 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 no. It's just, just give me the ball. I'll take that home and my boys will kick fuck out of it. <laughs> so that, that's pretty much where it comes from, eh? you know, the, so, yeah, it's, and and she was, I mean, I remember one time, in ni- it was 1971, it was the Scottish Cup semi-final, was, we were obviously very young, pestering the life out of her, we want to go to the football, we want to go to the football, and uh, this pretty much kind of sums up all our holidays, when it was done, you know, with 10 minutes notice, right, so she says, oh, f- right, enough, let's go, and she took us over to Hamden for the 1971 Scottish Cup semi-final with Rangers and Hibs, and She'd never been in a football ground in her life, and me and my two brothers, she took us over. Uh, it was a one-each draw, Colin Steen scored. We, we, we actually lost the replay. I'm sorry to say, him. and uh, so it was, uh, it was 1970, yeah, it was 71 Scottish Cup final. And uh, the Hibs get pumped 6-1 with the, that other mob, you know, in the final. Which so, But 
that's the kind of uh, early doors. So give you a wee uh, flavour of, of, of the household I came from. So uh, can I on to number one, really? Yeah, it's so just before we before I ask you these questions, so we've got the kind of background of you, the, the stock you come from. The 10 questions were going to go on either purposely left vague. Um, it can be your own interpretation. How much, just uh, was it a struggle to get one answer down for eight, for everyone? Was it all, for every question, was it a clear cut winner? And uh, no, some of them were uh, agonising, and and to be honest, uh, I've got I think one option. I've got the uh, best of three, you know, and you could pr- probably put them in any order you like. So no, there's it was a uh, I've been, I've seen Rangers lots of times. So uh, best Rangers goal, mm-hmm. gosh, I mean, like yeah. I I could spend an hour on that one. So that is question number one. So your favourite Rangers goal, and as I said, we've left these vague. So this can be the best technical goal you've seen, or the your favourite goal that meant so much to the fans, or just in in the context of what was happening. So what have you got for your favourite Rangers goal? Uh, well, I've I've got a, a couple of options. Now I've actually got three options, as you said. But the the most te- technically brilliant was a uh, the fourth of August, nineteen seventy nine, and. Cooperman in the, the Driver Cup final. So I was in the Rangers end. Obviously, we were a, a wee while, a wee bit away from because it was scored at the other end of the ground. But uh, we, we uh, Sandy Jardin scored a brilliant goal that day as well. I mean, but, but Cooperman's goal was, uh, was was super special. Eh, when he just kept lobbing it over their heads. Next one, next, next. They seem to be queuing up. They seem to be in in it. Uh, and then he and he flicks it past uh, the keeper. Uh, it was absolutely superb. Uh, yeah, Cooperman was was obviously unplayable in one days, but uh, that goal was is etched in my mm-hmm. heart. I mean, that that game is etched in my heart. I can remember that that game vividly, just because it was it was an absolutely beautiful sunny day. We're all at Hamden. Sandy Jardin scored a worldly. Uh, I think it was we Polaris who scored the first goal. John McDonald, uh, which was also a good goal, and, and I think they scored one, and it was possibly Bobby Lennox who scored. Maybe maybe it wasn't, but uh, they scored. But, but Rangers they uh, pulverised them that day because that was the the same year as uh, they had beaten us four two at Parkhead when they, and they won the league when Johnny Doyle got sent off. I, don't know, I was at that game as well. Thankfully, it was never televised. But uh, that was a that was a sore one to take. And I, I think I've heard a couple of the Rangers players saying it was the it was the pain of that game that took them into the Driver Cup final to. Uh, to get their own back and, and exact some revenge on them, and they did because it was three one that day. But really, it, it could have been five six. Rangers uh, absolutely put them to the sword that day. It was uh, fantastic. But uh, the the game itself, you know, I've seen was was played out mob a few times, but the game was is, is etched in my mind. But just because of that Cooper goal, just because it was so special, you know, he gets the ball, he's back to them, and then just. Uh, there's a wee dance round them. <laughs> Next, please flick, 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 goal. Uh, we had a we had a good day that day. I was I was a teenager at that point, but am I right in saying you started your apprenticeship the next day? As two days later, I started my apprenticeship on the sixth of August, which was the Monday, and we were at the game on the fourth. So yeah, two days after that. Uh, so was that was a happy bear that day. Uh, well, we quite quickly find out who was who when I arrived, you know, because Wimpy had tent apprentices, and uh, I think that during the conversation of that morning, you know, we don't know who's who. Uh, we get the game on Saturday, and I said to this guy, yeah, I was at the good end, and he said, "What end was that?" He says, "The Rangers' end." <laughs> so, <laughs> and he was he was of the other persuasion. So, we were never drinking partners. <laughs> so the other one I had was a uh, pistol Pete. You know, in uh, the 2002 Scottish Cup final, because uh, we were right at the corner that he ran to after he'd scored the goal, which was uh, that was a cracking day and all. You know, those Union flags. We had a we had a wonderful day that day, which lasted to the wee small years. I remember, which is we ended up back in Duke Street and in, in the Bristol. We were. Uh, straw hats and trumpets but the end of the game obviously because the, I think Barry Ferguson possibly played one of his finest games for Rangers that day Barry uh, was was the leader and he came running to the touchline we were at as well when he'd taken his shirt off and, and after he'd pinged in the free kick so that that was a special goal and, and when obviously we'd left it uh, when, when Lovenkranz scored right at the end 
By the time, you know, we'd got up and dusted ourselves down and straightened our ties, when we turned around, the Celtic end was, it was empty. It was gone. <laughs> I don't know how they managed it. But the, so, but that was a, what a day. What a day. I watched that game in telly and uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, phenomenal game and Barry Ferguson was unplayable that day. But what a goal it was for Love and Grants, uh, the one you're talking about. If I had to really push you, Davey, well, I've actually got a third goal because uh, oh, this, one one. Also, this one's also super special for us because uh, it was in Copenhagen, which has just been mentioned. <laughs> when, when we went over, when Rangers played uh, FC Copenhagen in the Champions League and it was the qualifier for the group section and Shota get the ball drops over his shoulder and he hooks at the end of the net. We were behind the goal in the parking stadium. which So we'd, gone, we'd done the day trip over for that game. And obviously Copenhagen's not the cheapest place, so we're off to the supermarket, get lots of beers, and we were we were tanking into it. Uh, we eventually got into the ground, plenty of time. Uh, again, and Rangers scored. Arteta scored the first one with a penalty. Uh, they then equalised, uh, and then the Rangers. What Rangers played well that night. We, we did. We we actually deserved to go through. It was uh, it wasn't a fluke. Uh, so Arvaladzi pops in 83rd minute, seven minutes. We're hanging on. It seemed like uh, 27 minutes for the, for the end of it. But we during that game at half time, one of the guys we were with, because we'd you know we'd carrying our stuff with us, he had a rucksack, and then we discovered at half time that we'd four cans of beer in the rucksack. You know, so we managed to. I mean, completely unwittingly, we'd taken it in. But you would have thought we'd found a thousand pounds because we'd found four cans of beer. Bag. <laughs> For half time, it was, uh, but that was good. We, I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, if you were to put uh, thumb screws on me, then I would probably say my, my favourite goal would have to be Cooperman's, you know, Driver Cup final, because we, we'll never see that the likes of that again, you know. But that was uh, best thing to go. But there, there's as so many to choose from. So it's, many. It's a very hard opening question with the amount of important goals and beautiful, technically brilliant goals that we've seen over. Oh, since um, you know, since the games started, since the, the games were televised, um, God knows how many, how many we've missed in the days of Bill Struth and um, before the, that we've not had the pleasure of seeing. But so we'll we'll put it down for David Cooper at Hamden in the Driver Cup final is your favourite goal. So question number two, here's to the weird and wonderful. Where's the, where's the strangest place you found yourself watching a Rangers game? Uh, in America, I was my girl was uh, staying over in Los Angeles, so I I took a wee trip out to see her, uh, and obviously the, the first thing you do is going anywhere bluenosebars.com dot com mm-hmm. was because uh, I had a ticket for the the, the cup semi final, the league cup semi final against Aberdeen, which I which I then gave to my brother, so I went over to see Fiona. Uh, she was staying in LA at the time. So we, once we tracked down the LA True Blues, we found out they were they were all get, getting together in the Fox and Hounds pub, which was in the Studio City, Los Angeles. Kind of bizarre town, Los Angeles. But So we had to get our arse over there. She's Rangers. It's like, we need to go get watch Rangers. So you had to drive us through uh, to the Fox and Hounds. Nine o'clock in the morning kickoff. So we got there about half eight. And then, you know, the bizarre, we're finding a wee space to park the car and guys in the street <laughs> walking past us with Rangers strips on. So that was, uh, that was a wee bit surreal. It was good. It was, they were a smashing bunch of guys. Uh, but that was, obviously the result was a bit shit. As uh, Ferguson popped one in just at the death to uh, uh, beat us 1-0. I mean, that was, uh, but the, the, the day was, wasn't a total disaster because I, in the afternoon, we then took ourselves along to watch LA Galaxy play Houston Dynamo. So we, uh, she, I'd, I'd bought the tickets at this end, and uh, she just had them sent to her. So we went along for that, which was good. The, uh, I got we surprised, you know, when the Houston Dynamo team came out, they were led out by their skipper, who is one, the Marcus Beasley. Wow! So it was a wee Rangers connection immediately. So yeah, uh, he absolutely strolled it. Uh, big Zlatan was playing with LA Galaxy as was uh, Ashley Cole. Uh, they were two 0 up at half time and ended up getting cuffed three two. So it was a very much a mixture of players, you know, between you know Abramovich and 
uh, some other, you know, Ashley Cohn, Demarcus Beasley, kind of good quality professionals, but some of the, the players in the park would be uh, the championship players in Scotland, to be honest. So, but it was it was a cracking day out, and it was just good to see, you know, the different experiences of of, of the game. <clears throat> but that was obviously in the stadium with the Rangers strip on right enough, you know, so. Lucky man, like that was a that was a tough game, Aberdeen. So I had to have the long walk uh, back to the pub, and it was freezing that night. I waited around my sorrows, and there you sunning yourself, watching Zlatan Ibrahimovic start his stuff. Yeah, we were sitting in the sun. We were sitting in the sun, ordering some just nachos. The, the food in the, the stadium in Los Angeles was was unbelievable, you know, because they ordered most things. It was a la carte. The, what a layout. Obviously, they've got the weather for it because it, it just never rains in Los Angeles. In fact, when my girl, uh, she had moved over there in the May, and when I over, it was obviously late October when, when we went, saw the game, and it had only rained one time. One day it rained, and, and the whole time she was in Los Angeles. So that's the kind of, I mean, I've since, you know, I was singing the song, you know, <laughs> the Broadway lights are clear. If they only had the Rangers <laughs> over here, so I was singing that to her. And I had a Rangers uh, T-shirt, which I got when I signed up to the Rangers Lotto, and it was uh, made in Glasgow since 1872. And a boy stopped me on uh, the... We went to Santa Monica, and a boy stopped me on the pier. He said, oh, I'm loving your T-shirt, mate. It's all thanks. So it, is, it is indeed a small world. Did he, did he know it was a Rangers top, or did he think you were born in 1872? It might have been high as a kite. In no, I, I think it was uh, that he thought I was born in 1872. <laughs> I did see Rangers at the bottom of it quickly. Yeah. There we go. It said made in Glasgow on on the on the t-shirt, which which is was not a lie because I was made in t-shirt, made in Glasgow. Mate, in nineteen sixty three, right? Really shows you it's such a small world. This um, we've got bears dotted all over the globe. Um, I was actually saying to Chris before um, before I pod a few weeks ago that. I think it was either Chris or Mason. I was chatting to that we our second highest listens um, for the podcast is in Sweden. It's the UK, then Sweden, America. Fuck knows why we've got such a big Swedish um, fan base. Shout out if you're listening in Sweden. But it just goes to show, like all over the globe, man. It's it's heartwarming to see. Right. Well, I'll, I'll be expecting a few calls for uh, translation purposes. You know, say, well, what the hell does what was he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> So, I'll have to speak a little slower for the Swedish people. <laughs> On the question number three, what's your what's your best away day or away trip following Rangers been? Obviously, uh, I mean, lots of candidates for this particular option. And, and again, I've, I've put down a couple. I've actually now I've put down three. You know, I'm, I'm, because uh, one of them was Katowice, which I think I, I, I spoke to you about before, eh, when we went to Auschwitz and hired the taxi driver. So, But for, for, the, for the Swedish uh, listeners, I'll, I'll tell you the story again. So we, we went on the bus. And it, we left on the Sunday night, and it was, uh, I think it was, it was Big Stuart's bus. Big Stuart was on the bus anyway, Stuart Daniels. The, the Rangers community will know who he is. So we uh, left, uh, we got there. We changed uh, twenty pounds sterling into twenty thousand zlotys, so we were mil- immediately millionaires. Uh, and so we we thought we'd because the Auschwitz camp wasn't too far away, and uh, it was a lovely sunny day, quite cold, but it was uh, very bright. So we hired the taxi driver between four of us, took us over to uh, Auschwitz for a wee tour of the camp. Said to the taxi driver, "Right, mm-hmm. stay here. We'll see, you. and when we get out, it'll be uh, we don't know how long the tour will take." So. We uh, and did the tour. Uh, we obviously the there's the the layout of it's, it's Auschwitz Birkenau. So the, the the main camp is Auschwitz, which was kind of the admin centre. Man Mengele did all those nasty things, and then there was Birkenau, where the, the big railway lines are run into the, all those sheds. And I mean, the place is absolutely horrific. I mean, just on a serious note for a moment, it is absolutely jaw dropping that in uh, what happened there. You know, in an industrial scale. So anyway, we, we, we went on the tour and the chap took us all around the place and, uh, you know, just horror story after horror story, mountains of shoes and suitcases and glasses and human hair and bloody hell, it's absolutely catastrophic. And one of the blocks in uh, the, the Auschwitz was the punishment block. So there was a few cells where the particularly nasty people get, get locked away. 
And in the cell, there was the wee shrine, which was uh, lit up with a whole lot of uh, Virgin Mary pictures and candles and various, you know, iconography of, of the Catholic Church. And the host, the, the guy who's taken the tours tells us that the candle which is in this cell was lit by the Pope. And he then explains to us that the Pope is very popular in Poland. So there was the, obviously the solemn silence at that point. Then one of the guys who was on the tour with us says, he's not very popular on that call. And so we then burst, <laughs> we then burst out laughing. And the, the chap who was taking the tour was was less than pleased. Tour is over. And then just marched away from us. I was like, he never spoke to us again. So obviously he didn't quite get the lark call connection. But <laughs> it's like, that's like some of a still game clip, you know, that point where somebody says something and you know you the absolute worst time you can break a giggle. And yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine the more you try and hold that in, the worse it gets. Yeah, it was uh, surreal, obviously, because you're not expecting someone to crack a gag at that point, which only made it funnier, to be honest. But when we laughed, the guy was not pleased. So we we left, and uh, our taxi driver, amazingly, was still outside. He had waited the three hours that it took us to ground the camp, and he was still outside. And we're on because we're thinking, there's no way in God's earth that chap's going to be there. But God bless him, he was. So we gave him another four dollars, and uh, he took us back to Katowice, back to our hotel, where, where we had uh, in the restaurant with the, and not on the other table with the Italian referee and the two linesmen, and we were we sent them over some champagne, and uh, but the champagne came with a plastic cork, which. Uh, <laughs> So we're not really sure it was proper champagne, but it was all there was. But we uh, left two lines over there, honestly. Never, not a word of English between them, but we were trying to bribe them with our loaded lotties. As it turns out, Rangers, Rangers won 4-2 anyway. So we went to the stadium, which was a, a huge big bowl, uh, you know, a, a typical kind of Eastern European ground. It was probably capable of holding almost 100,000. But uh, the, the, so it wasn't Katowice's ground we played the game in because their ground was so small. So, but it was it was in Katowice, but it was a far larger ground than, than their home ground. But there were a whole lot of Gornick fans that came to the game, and uh, so they were behind one goal. We were, were kind of on the halfway line, and behind us were the Rangers entourage. David Holmes. We were chatting to David Holmes outside the outside the ground. Got our photograph taken and things. So during the game. Uh, the Gornick fans are all singing at one end, the Katowice fans are at the other, and we're in the halfway line. There was there wasn't many of us. There was maybe there was less than a hundred Rangers fans in the stadium. But uh, all the Gornick fans at one point stood up and then started walking round towards us. So David Holmes, who was behind us, comes running down to speak to Big Stuart, Big, Big Stuart Daniels. He says, Stuart, Stuart, what's happening? What's happening? He says, Oh, it's okay, they're coming to uh, they're coming to join us. So the Gornick fans come round and join the Rangers fans and then started charting uh, Glasgow Rangers, Glasgow Rangers. So they, <laughs> they just joined in with us against the, the Katowice mob. So it was uh, surreal. So we never get back until the Friday night. I mean, oh, absolutely needing a blood transfusion by the time we get back from there. It was a, that was a, it was a long haul to Poland on a bus. I can only imagine. The next one I've got is uh, the, the trip to Parma, which was when we actually lost 1-0 and Sherboni was in goals, but we'd won the first leg 2-0. And I was, we were trying uh, to get flights, we were trying to get uh, booked on a bus, and we eventually couldn't manage either. So I'd phoned Ibrox and says, do you have tickets for the away game? He says, yeah, come over and get a couple. So I got, so we, me and Sharon went with a couple of tickets. Could not get a flight anywhere. So the game was on the Wednesday. This was the weekend. And we says, do you know what? To hell with this. We'll just drive it. <laughs> no danger. <laughs> so on Sunday, we just threw the sleep bags in the car and off we went. Sent. So my sister stays in Gravesend in Kent. Uh, so we drove down to her. We stayed there overnight. Then it was a trip down to Dover. And then it was, I mean, I would... We, 10 minutes preparation for this. This was a, a completely off-the-cuff decision to just drive it. So, <laughs> and I, I never actually realised until someone told me later that you have to adjust your headlights to drive in the continent. There was, well, there was none of that. They didn't even check the insurance, just get in the car, let's go. So, onto the boat, across through France, stopped at Reims, but sh- cases and cases of beer in the boot. Brr, 
uh, drove through there, through Germany, into Switzerland, had to buy a year's road tax in Switzerland at the border between <laughs> Germany and Switzerland, uh, and then drove through the Gotthard Tunnel, 22 kilometres long, which is like a game of Space Invaders. It just, you know, disappears to nothing. <laughs> Absolutely boiling hot. So we just got to the north of Italy, crashed in the car, and then we drove down to Parma on the Tuesday morning. So we arrived in Parma quite early on the Tuesday. So we got there intact, then had to find a hotel. Uh, we were on. We met the boys from the Burnbank bus, which we tried to get on. Uh, but we stayed in a, a nice wee hotel in Parma. We met uh, Gian Luigi Buffon in the restaurant the night before the game. So he was, uh, yeah, it was just a small place. I mean, probably the, the size of my living room. And, and he was in there, so. But obviously, there was the conversation was fairly stunted because it was it was more about Parma Rangers, and I think that that was the only two words that both of us understood. Yeah, so that that was fantastic. Obviously, we got the result because uh, we lost one nil, but we'd gone we'd won through, and that was us through to the group sets in the Champions League. So we had uh, that was much whooping and a whopping that night, and all and all the way home. It was a long haul home, right enough. So, but. That was just in the cuff because we we just couldn't get a flight. So just what the hell? We'll just drive it, and we did. Got Talk back. about that last minute holiday, man. That's that's something else. I think that, as I said, I think that's what I got from that from my mum because that's the way our holidays went when we were we it was mm-hmm. you ten minutes notice to go and get your swimming trunks, and then we were off to Rothsey or we were off to St Andrews or something. That's that's the way we did holidays. The, the other one I've got says Monaco when we uh, we went down there for that in the Champions League uh, game. Obviously, we pumped Sturm Graz in the, the first match, uh, and we booked flights to it was kind of Ryanair. I think it was a drive to Stansted and then Stansted to Genoa, uh, and then just hired a car at Genoa, uh, at just inside the Italian border. So we just hired a car. It was a pissy Fiat thing. So we drove down. Didn't have tickets for the game, so we had to go to Monaco first of all, which is utterly bizarre. What a place Monaco is. So I'm driving about, you can places full of Lamborghinis and <laughs> Ferraris, and I'm driving a Fiat, bloody God knows what. And so, the, I mean, just talk about sticking out. So we eventually, after a wee tour, we found the stadium, because the stadium in, in Monaco is not dead obvious. I actually drove around it twice, before, and then stopped one, and someone says, excuse me, where's the football ground? And they literally pointed across the road and said, there, it's there. I was, I was about 30 yards from it, and, and didn't recognise it as a football stadium. Because it's kind of on the first floor, the pitch is kind of up a level. So anyway, we then got the tickets. We now need somewhere to stay. And then it was back in the car. Well, we obviously can't stay in Monaco because it's for squillionaires. So we just drove to Nice uh, and just got ourselves hooked up by a wee hotel. Uh, we just got to the tourist office. They says, go to this place. And we went to the hotel, checked in, bags down, danger strip on, out for something to eat and a drink. So walking down the street in Monaco, and it was a kind of a precinct area. And one of the one, this guy stands up in one of the cafes and shouts, "Davy!" I says, "Michael." So what was a guy I was at university with, and because I'd, I'd I'd done my my apprenticeship, then went done back done some hires, then went to university, so I kind of did things in reverse almost. But Michael, who I was at uni with, he was. He says, I thought you might be here. So I says, what, what are you doing here? He says, I work here. I live here. He says, you're joking me. He says, where are you staying? I says, we're in some, some hotel down the road. He says, just go back and get your stuff and just come and stay with me. So he says, I'll have to. He was, he was at work. He was he'd meet some, meeting some guy from work. So he says, come back in an hour. He says, and we'll, we'll, you go get your stuff and we'll uh, head back to my flat. So that's exactly what we did. He then had a flat in the promenade de Anglais. You know, the big sweeping road where uh, recently that guy drove a truck through all the crowds and on, on the Bastille oh, day, yeah. right on the, right yeah, on the I, scene. I thought I recognised that and I thought I was just my ears were perking up because it sounds really fancy. That's... No, it was the, it's the Promenade Young, it's the big road which is in the bay at Nice, which is all the way around. Yeah. He had a flat face in that beach, so we ended up uh, camping at his place, which you could have played tennis in his living room. It was absolutely beautiful place so we get up the following morning he says I'm going, I'm going to have to go to work he says but I'll come home early I'll go to the game with you he says smashing smashing Michael excellent so he says there's plenty of beer in the fridge uh, just do what you do so we did and we uh, and when the Rangers fans are 
passing along the street, you know, singing like maddies, and I'm hanging out the window screaming, I'm like, ah, you're doing lads. And they couldn't quite believe it, you know, I'm hanging out the window with a ranger strip on. So anyway, that afternoon, Michael got us back about three o'clock. Uh, he then gets on the phone call, speaking, you know, fluent French to whoever, right? He says, right, come on, we need to go to the game. So we went down, jumped in his car, and he drove us round to Nice Airport. And I said, Michael, what are we doing? He says, we're getting a helicopter. <clears throat> so we just jumped Jesus. in the we just jumped in the helicopter at Nice Airport and then flew around to, to Monaco, which is only fifteen miles, something like that. So we obviously weren't in the we were in the helicopter five minutes. But when we arrived at uh, the, the the helipad in Monaco, the when we got out and we were jumping at the helicopter with ranger strips on, and about hundred yards away are all the French riot police who are obviously you know a bit maybe 300, 400 yards for the stadium and they're watching us, you know, climb out helicopters with ranger strips on. They're thinking, right, this is a wee bit more uh, serious than we thought. So it was just a walk round to the stadium, uh, five minutes into the pub, had a few beers and then then one nil victory. Who pops up with the winner? Gio Van, Van Bronckhurst. So it was a good night's straw hats and trumpets. It was a train back to, we never get the helicopter back, we get the train back to Nice. Had to slum it on the train, eh? Uh, I know that's how the other half live. Oh no, but Monaco is uh, just I, I, actually in our, my wee tour of Monaco, we were see the bay where all those big yachts are, and 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 it's just completely mental. And uh, so I'm driving down, and it, just as I, it re- I realise I'm driving the wrong way, some a guy chapped the window, and I rolled the window down. He was English, and he says, "You understand, you're going the wrong way in a one-way street here." I says. <laughs> He says, mate, it's just dawned on me. He says, but if you just go along, you know, maybe 50 yards, you'll be able to turn around. So so I did. So I'm going to get nicked in Monaco. <laughs> in fact, you know, on the other thing was, and see the, the trip to Parma, I actually managed to get on to the Autostrada in Italy without acquiring a ticket for the toll road. So when I got to the toll at the other end, I got fined. And I had to, <laughs> I had to go to the, the kind of, uh, Carbonieri office, which was the local town, but obviously it chucked it the windy. So I'm probably a wanted man in Italy. <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I go back, they'll clap me in irons. So because I still owe them some bloody uh, two thousand lira or something. Nah, well, with interest now, you, that'll be a that'll be a, a pretty fine if you ever roll back. So yeah. if I have to push you for to pick one, what what one would you choose as your best away trip? Davey. I think it would, it would have to be Monaco just because it was uh, completely surreal. See, when we get back to the Genoa, uh, you know, after we, you know, the day after the game, and we get back in the car, see you later, Michael. We, and we actually went back to see him uh, about six months later, and we took him some Buckfast and things like that. So, because uh, he was still in Monaco, he driving, driving an Audi TT. I said that to him. I says, Michael, how come you're staying in Monaco in the Promenade de Anglais with a view of the beach? driving an Audi TT and, and I'm in Stanyburn <laughs> with a lovely view <laughs> with a, sh- a shale bing driving a, f- a clap to bloody 10-year-old golf. <laughs> what happened there? Aye. So, how, the, how the other half Monaco, live, eh? It would have to be Monaco because uh, that was just nuts. And, and as I said, sorry, I was saying, when we get back to the airport and we beat Stern Gratz, 5-0 in the first game. We've now got to the second game, so we've got six points out of six, and we're thinking, the final's in Milan. It's not too far away from here. We could just fly back to Genoa for the final. So we were making arrangements for the final <laughs> after we played the second game. Talking about getting ahead of yourselves. Jesus. I know. So on to question number four, mate, and I'm going to put the pressure on you. I'm, for, from here on in, I'm going to need one answer from you. Um mm. Unless this will end up being a four-parter, this podcast. Um, so, question number four. What's the funniest thing you've ever seen at a Rangers game? Uh, well, this one was uh, it was funny, but it's surreal, bordering on surreal. And, and we're not going back there too far. 20, 2013, you possibly at the game yourself, when we were, we were at Ibrox against Brecon, you know, during those years. And at half-time, and I could not believe this, you know, my jaw was on the floor. When out, out, out marched the Mongolian army brass band. <laughs> I remember with, that. With dancers. And that is, this is, I could not believe it. So I was like, this is a wind up. I'm waiting on Jeremy Beadle turning up. You know, <laughs> because this, this is just, And then, the, the, see when they started playing, uh, I'm, uh, 
I'm getting married in the morning. You know, the Mongolian army, you know, how, how, that was a bit left field to start with. But then they had dancers on in the centre spot and then they, they started doing that kind of choreographed kind of walking about thing. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> Charles Green, he's, he's on drugs. I, I just, that was, uh, I thought that was completely mental. Just... Just when nuts. you were telling that story there, I've managed to find a picture on Google. And every every post on Twitter and Instagram of a new um, show will always have an accompanying picture. And I think this has to go on the... I think this has to go on with it. I completely forgot that. I think yeah, there's so many things in those years that I've just tried to erase from my mind. and I, It's like brand new like information again when I hear it, but... oh. I've no thought about that in a long time, Davy. The Mongolian army bloody brass band. I'm like, what? With with dancers. <laughs> I'm getting married in the morning. I'm like, this is this is mental, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny. That was uh, oh, listen to this. There's another cracking story when uh, here's a here very quick one. Right? I'll make this one absolutely one minute long. When I was over in the game when we played Bohemians in Dublin which is uh, the only time I've ever been to a game of football and been genuinely scared that I'm, I'm not going to get out of here because it was absolutely nuts. But see, before the game, we were in a kind of, the, the, the guard kind of retreated and we were in a, in a no man's land. And there was a guy, we went to the chippy and there was a guy at the door of the chippy and he was saying, the, the staff behind the counter were Italian and he's screaming at them, serve chips, serve them chips. And so everybody, all the Rangers fans are queuing quite orderly, you know, getting, getting chips and fish and all that. And then every time it, they handed over the chips, don't fucking pay them. Don't fuck. So <laughs> there was no money was changing hands and, and the big man was making sure that everyone was getting served and not handing them any money. And it, he just stood there and, and all the way down the queue, all the way back up to the counter to get served, right? Yeah, I'll have, I'll have fish and chips, served it up. Don't fucking pay them, right? Next. You get in there. So he'd taken upon himself to, so we were all getting free fish and chips. But in this bank, this, they were actually terrified to, uh, to this big guy at the door who was telling them, don't give them any money. So they never got any money. <laughs> oh, dear. So <laughs> so the funniest things, though, is Mongolian, uh, Mongolian art. I mean, Jesus. That was... It'll be hard to top that. It really will be hard to top that one. Um, on the question number five, Davey. Who's the one Rangers player that you didn't rate, but everybody else seemed to love? Right, I'm going to fall out with some people here, I suspect, but uh, I'm, I'm prepared to go with it. I'm prepared to go with it. The, the name I've come up with, uh, after, you know, kind of, wasn't a, a lengthy list, but there was there were some candidates, but it's Ray Butch Wilkins. So, wow. I just, MBE indeed. You know, so, the, the crab, uh, and I know he, he scored the goal against Celtic, but it was one of only two goals he ever scored for Rangers in 70 appearances. So, I mean, in all of that, he was obviously a smashing bloke. You know, you, could, you can just hear what people will say about him that he was a. Uh, but in terms of his contribution to Rangers, I know everybody kind of wets their knickers, you know, he was a smashing guy, but his contribution to Rangers, I would say, ah, nah, done. When, when, I mean, the list of clubs Ray Bill Wilkins went through was uh, is rather lengthy. You know, he actually played quite a lot after he'd left Rangers. And, I, and they then made a comment, you know, I, I didn't actually, uh, I wish I'd come to Rangers earlier. You know, so when you look at the, his career, you know, at Chelsea and then Manchester United, he was over at Sampdoria and AC Milan. And I think he only ever scored 48 goals. And I think he scored 30 then for Chelsea. So, I mean, for the rest of the clubs that he played for, uh, he, he never really, he only scored two and seventy for Rangers, and it kind of fell away from that. And was, when the time he got to QPR, he had another two stints at QPR, so eighty-four appearances for England, three goals. Sorry, there's, there's no doubt about the, his talent throughout his career, but I suppose probably your argument as a Rangers player, his Rangers career is probably yeah. he, he's not quite the legendary status. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, I know he's has to acquired a status which I don't think his performances and his contribution can amend it, to be honest. So, just my it had to be someone, and it's, uh, it's Butch Wilkins. Oh, I can't wait to see the comments and follow follow about that question. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, on the other side, 
then, Davey, question number six. You, your chance to present the Sasa Papatch Award. So who's your Rangers unsung hero? And it can't be Papatch himself. It's not, it's not Sasha. What a man he was. Yeah, he's the Mr. 7 out of 10. So, uh, probably get slaughtered for this one too, but hey-ho. Alexei Mikhailichenko. Oh, he could have gave me 100 guesses and I wouldn't have guessed him. 110 appearances, 20 goals. He won the league in every season he was with Rangers, five. One Scottish Cup, two League Cups. He was a league winner in the USSR, Italy, Scotland and the Ukraine. European Cup Winners' Cup with Moscow Dynamo, 1986. Beaten finalist in the Euros in 1988. He was uh, fourth in the Ballon d'Or in 1988. Uh, he was... Uh, I mean, you... I've, you watch the YouTube footage. Some the, the guy was uh, he was special. I mean, he looked mm-hmm. a wee bit ungainly. You know, there was a wee touch of the Ted McMinn about him, but uh, he was technically a, a superb player, superb player. And he's you know his track record with Rangers. You know, the, so twenty goals and one hundred and ten appearances, so one in five, you know, which is five yeah. league winners medals. So when we talk about unsung hero at the time, do you think he, he's an un, he was an unsung hero at the time, or do you think he doesn't get the recognition he deserves when we look back? Or is that about both? Well, if you just compare him with the uh, you know the, the stature with which Butch Wilkins is held in, uh, you know Rangers, the uh, Alexei Mikhailchenko won the league every year he was here, every year. So we've never <clears throat> and, and and his track record, you know, and the the, the ability of the guy for me. Uh, 20 goals, you should go go through YouTube, watch his goals, top draw. Uh, so we don't really much hear about it. I think he's, he's now the technical director at Dynamo Kiev. So he's, he's back there, he's still involved in football, he's still with Dynamo Kiev. So Alexa, apparently, who was it was telling me this? Or something? I heard the story about his, his wee uh, post-match routine was, uh, was to get, obviously get changed, get Lever Ibrox. And he stopped in some uh, chippy in the West End. He would uh, he then get load himself up with a whole lot of chips and fish and, and then go across the road to the off sales, buy a bottle of vodka and that was him camping the house for the night. He was a creature of habit. <clears throat> you don't get footballers like that anymore, do you? Maybe Carlos <laughs> Peña, but there's a reason why he's not at the top level. Yeah. No, but Alexi Mikhailichenko, I loved big Alexi was a smashing player. There we go. So Mikhailichenko for the Sasa Papach Award, Davies Unsung Rangers hero. So on to question number seven then, mate, um, we, we've tried to keep it as lighthearted as possible, but what's, um, this one, we'll take it down. What's your biggest Rangers regret? Oh, this one is, isn't very light-hearted. I'm going to have to <laughs> turn, turn it down a couple of notches here. This is when, that point in time where everybody sits down, they pour the whiskey, dim the lights a bit, right, let's, let's get serious for a minute. This is it, you know, this is what we do so... For me, and it's, we're going back a wee bit, but it was not winning the European Cup in 1979 because we, uh, after we'd beaten Juventus and PSV Eindhoven, you know, so we'd beaten a Juventus team that would, uh, that would most of which would go on and win the bloody World Cup. We uh, played a PSV Eindhoven team and beat them, you know, which contained a, a large element of the team that had got to the World Cup final with Holland. So we, they, they were absolute top seeds so we, we've got to the last eight in, in the European Cup and here was the opposite. Here are the other seven teams who were left in that competition. Nottingham Forest, Grasshoppers, Austria-Vienna, Dynamo Dresden, Cologne, Wiesla Krakow and Malmo. That was the seven teams we were up against to win the bloody thing. Obviously, we drew, we drew Cologne uh, and, and we lost 2-1 in aggregate. So... We'd, we'd, we lost 1-0 across there, but, but we'd, uh, we'd lost 1-0 in Juventus so, and come back and recovered it, uh, and we didn't quite manage it. And here's my question of, of that tournament. Who the fuck is Billy Urquhart? No idea. Well, Billy Urquhart would, uh, only ever played 14 games for Rangers. Two of them were against Cologne. So we'd signed this guy from... Granny's healing him somewhere after playing him in a, in a pre-season fr- friendly. He only ever played, he sc- sc- played 14 times. Billy Urquhart scored six goals and the, on the away leg. 
uh, Derek Perlain played up front and Billy Urquhart then come on as a sub to replace him. And then, then the whole match, it was vice versa. It was Billy Urquhart who started and then Derek Perlain come on to replace him. This was in a squad where we had Derek Johnson who then come on as a defender in, in the return leg rather than playing Derek Johnson up front. So clearly we were light up front. The fact that we had to go to, uh, you know, get someone from a farm outside Inverness to, uh, to to rely on him to get us past Cologne in the European Cup quarterfinal. And and half of that team had played in Barcelona in 72. So they'd been round the block. So we they, they should have known what was required. And after having disposing Juventus and PSV Eindhoven, Cologne were well within our range. And then they obviously lost to Forrest in the semi-final and, and Forrest went on to win it. But uh, that for me was an absolute glorious opportunity to win the bloody thing. And uh, we, we fluffed our lines in the quarter-final. We'd, we'd lost 1-0 on the first leg. And then bizarrely, you know, when uh, the return leg at Ibrox, the game was cancelled and it was then played the following evening because the ground was rock hard. And if you look at the footage of it, you know, I think some of the players, the Rangers players, played in trainers that night because the ground was solid. So it, it wouldn't have been played today. It wouldn't have been played today in, in, in conditions like that. But we uh, we fucked that up. And and you look at the teams that we, we were left in that competition with and all of them were doable. All of them. So, and I could, I, I, honestly, that is, I, I still just get a wee tinge of what the fuck were we thinking about with Billy Urquhart? <laughs> I know, hindsight, eh? And that's how, how it could have turned out differently for John Gregg as a manager. Um, if, you know, if we'd done things a wee bit differently in 1979. Yeah, well, I mean, 79 was uh, it was obviously a big year because we had, John Gregg was within one game of winning the treble. Mm. You know, he got us to the quarterfinal of the European Cup. So I know Gregg's time is often seen as, you know, a complete catastrophe. It was very far from that. It kind of ran out of steam. Uh, but, you know, because after having the, the, the treble team, and in 79, you know, we'd lost the game 4-2, and then we pumped them in the August, you know, in the Driver Cup final. So, but the game against Conor, we were so looking forward to that game. And I remember we were counting down the days, and you're thinking, because obviously there's the Mio oh, Mio oh, My song, when, and when the Rangers win the European Cup, we were playing that full tilt. Yeah, in the days before that game, before and then it got called off. But that was a, a big disappointment. I think we we could have won it. We could have won it. Hey ho, oh, hey ho. What will be will be. Yeah. So on a on a happier note, um, you've mentioned a couple there. Question number eight: What's your favourite Rangers song? And keep this PG. Don't get me shut down. <laughs> no, no. This one's uh, uh, been ethnically cleansed. <laughs> No, the, my my favourite song is is a very recent one. It's uh, I mean it's and I, I on the first hearing of it is uh, every Saturday we follow, you know, and it's the Saint Phoenix version that that boy's singing it. And I actually saw I heard the song, and I thought that's cracking, you know, that's brilliant. We'll be belting that out iBooks. But then when I saw it with a video attached, that was it, you know, and that's me. Uh, that's now my go-to song for the bath. <laughs> when we get a good result, you know, and I'm skipping round the house like a bloody a four-year-old. I tell you what, I totally get what you mean with the the video attached as well. Obviously, uh, last season, one in fifty-five was the the Rangers media, social media, and the media presentation team done an absolute sterling job, and it was stuff I guess releasing these songs and these videos attached and. It just it helps you feel a wee bit more connected, even though you weren't at the stadium. That was it, it's very hard not to get goosebumps and not to get in a fire in your belly when you hear that song and when you watch a video that goes along with it. Oh yeah, I mean if that doesn't get your blood pumping, uh, we'll have to check you for a pulse because it's uh, that uh, that does it for me. And particularly when once you've seen the video and then that video is in your mind when you do sing it, you know it's uh, no, it's cracking. Absolutely, and I know it's you know it's only a couple of years old. It's but every sad aye, it kind of sums it up. It's kind of it's quite short, and but aye, the times they have been hard, you know. So you know, I mean, nod to the. It's very fitting. It's very fitting. Um, this song, and I think I, I hope this song stays for song. This song stays, sorry, for years to come because it's an absolute belter. So. 
On to question number nine, Davy. We've had your biggest Rangers regret. But so question number nine is if you could relive one Rangers moment, day or game in your lifetime, what would it be? It was a toss up between two. This is the one I kinda changed my mind on. Give me the two then then make a de- decision at the end. Well the the, the first one that I'd uh, come up with was uh, was December. December the 29th, 2018, not very long ago, but obviously we were playing them and we were getting closer and, and Ryan Jack popped one in and uh, Rangers, Rangers were brilliant that day. We saw them off, we should have scored more, uh, but when we got to the second half and, and we're getting closer and closer to the end, I actually didn't watch the last, last 10 minutes of that game. I couldn't. I was actually uh, I was I was getting beyond help at that point because I knew that we 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 had to get over the hurdle of pumping them and this was our day. So I actually had to extract myself because I, I would have been apoplectic. I would have you ever seen a grown man cry? Well, I would have been crying had had that turned pear shape in the last ten minutes because we had played them off the park, and and that was the moment that I knew we had them. As, as probably Gerard did, you know, and, and probably planned to do, but it was uh, such a big day, such a, a huge moment for us. That was it, and it was a uh, the whole thing set off by the Andy Halliday tackle in the first few minutes when he stands over in the charm and pumping his fist, and we knew from straight from the outset what was going to happen. And Rangers continued in that vein all the way, and we obviously we got the goal. And then with the, the second half, you know, it's getting 15 minutes to go. I, I'm, the beads of sweat are now on my forehead. And I'm thinking, you know, I'll just stay. So I just got off my seat and just went to the concourse because uh, had, had they popped one in, I swear to God, I think it would have been the end of me. But obviously we, we got the result and it was, uh, that, was a, that was a a genuine, you feel, I mean, cause, because on the road to 55, that was one of the milestones. Uh, it was a big milestone that we had to uh, get over that wall, and we did. So oh, we were delirious that night. Ibrooks yeah. was electric that day from start to finish. Um, uh, that was... Everyone uh, could realise, you know, what was yeah. at stake here. That yeah, was uh, Brendan Rodgers' first defeat in 13 old firm games. Wow. You mentioned there about milestones in the journey of 55, and I think and years to come, there's... there's There'll be a nice wee maybe five, ten steps to 55 you could do on Stephen Gerrard's time. And it would start with uh, um, the first Europa League run qualifying and then first time beating Celtic, blah, blah, blah. But the, that's for me, that was the first time we properly felt unified between there was that absolute connection and a unity between the fans, the players, the management. In the club, and we were all up for that, and you just seen how much it meant to everybody. The first time seeing the players feel the same passion as the fans—that's that was huge. Yeah, the reaction at the end told you, you know, exactly how much it meant. Because normally you, you would we'd win an important game, but there was a, that was a day when when we you would be hugging perfect strangers because it was that that that's how big a moment it was. So it didn't matter who it was, you know, if you knew the Rangers fan, they were in it with you and, and we celebrated that together because we knew it was a big moment and, and it was just beautiful because we and we had done it, we'd done it. My other contender, and this is going back some way, so we're going back to 29th of March 1975 and it was uh, Easter Road when uh, we drew one each and we'd won the league for the first time that I'd ever known us to win the league. And... It tells you something about, you know, because obviously you're saying, you know, those Easter House are, are East Street Urchins. Well, here's proof positive because uh, I wasn't even 12 and I was at the game, you know, and just on the train, you know, with me and uh, a couple of boys the same age as me, just down to the central uh, Queen Street station, onto the, the football specials off the Easter Road. Rangers fans were huge that day and all the way to the ground. We just followed the crowd just at Easter Road. Uh, and the, I mean, the official attendance that day is, is 38,585. But I hate my doots about that because uh, it was absolutely rammed, rammed. And and when I, going back and thinking about it, 
uh, it was the same kind of reaction that day as to uh, the, the game at, uh, at Ibrox in 2018 when the, the just the sheer relief. We hadn't won the league since 1964. So I think Kilmarnock had won it more recently than we had in 1975. So uh, when Colin scored the goal, I mean, it, the, the, the game itself... Uh, I don't remember too much about because I know that they did obviously they went one nil up. Sandy missed the penalty, but it was only minutes later when uh, Colin Steen popped the winner in, uh, and we had I think twenty five minutes or something to wait for the final whistle. And then when the, the the my the bits that are seared in my memory of that game are, are are mostly after the match when leaving the stadium going all the way up Easter Road because the the, the Rangers crowd that day was I mean we had tens of thousands at Easter Road that day tens of thousands and it was just we actually climbed up onto one of the bus stops in Easter Road so that we could see all the Rangers fans streaming around the corner and all the way up and it was it was from wall to wall it was uh, scenes of untold joy because we had eventually done it we, and we'd waited a long time because it was this was to stop them 10 last time so uh, so if I could go back and, and just be a wee bit more appreciative of of the the carnival that it was because all the way back to Waverley Station on the trains all the way back to Glasgow that was a, it was a travelling circus so that would be that was good so I'm going to press you what one would you pick if you could only pick one 2018 uh, or 1975 I, I think I would have to go with 75 because it's uh, obviously lots of that second it's in the darkest recesses of my mind which I'll probably never uh, be able to access again, having killed all those brain cells. <laughs> so, but so I would have to kind of refresh my memory by going back to do it again. It would be it would be nineteen seventy five. Yeah, and, and extra special as you say, the 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 first time you remember your team winning the league, um, it always holds a, a dear place in your uh, heart. That's because I I I'd never known it because I mean I was I was one when the last time we done the treble in sixty four obviously which had. I was blissfully unaware of, but it must have been something similar to to what the guys experienced last year who hadn't seen Rangers win the league. You know, so I, I was I was particularly pleased, you know, for the young team because they had they had gone through that process where they probably thought we would never win it, we couldn't win it. That's what I thought. I remember when we'd eventually won it. So maybe we were just not allowed to win it, but <laughs> eventually we did. And uh, yuppie doo daddy went to the gala day. You know, when when there was such a thing, the last game of the season was against uh, Airdrie Ibrox when we had a gala day, you see, whatever, whatever that is, which meant they just had a whole lot of girls standing in the centre circle, you know, twirling sticks and things. Like but that. the Mongolian army, were they there? No, but listen, no. I, I don't know what happened. Someone fell down that day and didn't get them booked. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, I think that would have made it a bit better. We'd rather have them than the girls with the twirling sticks, to be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> So that's number nine, you know, we're going back to uh, yep. 1975, eh, gosh. That was a while so, ago, 48 years ago. So the 10th mm. and final question, Davey. If you could go for a pint with one Rangers manager and one Rangers player, past or present, dead or alive, taking them in the wee Rangers club before the game or just a quiet Sunday afternoon, have a pint with them, get their thoughts, shoot the shit, who would it be? Uh, well, there wasn't a... Uh, much of a debate over this one, to be honest. Uh, it's it's Super Ali and Walter Smith. What a duel. What a duel. So Al, Ali's just a wee bit older than me. Uh, so we're kind of of the same age. Uh, so when he was a boy, and uh, I'm going to give you another cracking story here about uh, Super Ali, which uh, takes us back a wee while. Because... When I, I mean, I told you, as I, I started as an apprentice joiner, so after I'd served my time, which was uh, from 1979 to 1982, after that, me and uh, one of the guys I served my time with, uh, we went to London. So we were working in London. The job we were on was in Brewer Street in Soho, and on the job were a couple of guys from East Kilbride. Uh, it's uh, Wally Murphy. And Freddie Murphy, and if they're listening to this, then and then hi guys, long time no see. But they were at school with McCoist, so they're both from Calderwood and, and East Kilbride, and uh, they were they were real big mates with Super Alley. So obviously by this time they now know I'm a Rangers fan. So and they're saying, Davey, Davey, we got 
here's Ali's playing with Sunderland. They're playing Arsenal on Saturday. We're going to go to the game. Do you want to come with us? And I'm saying, that bastard, he's had two chances to sign for Rangers. See when you see, tell me can fuck off, you mean? <laughs> so, anyways, it turns out they they both went to the game at Highbury on, on the Saturday. Sunderland were playing Arsenal. Can't even remember the score. But when they came in the following Monday and told me, he says that Ali took them into the players' lounge in Highbury, in Highbury after the game. So they met, they met all the Arsenal players and they met all the Sunderland players and they were drinking for free. So I was like, bastard. <laughs> so I was sick. So I almost got to meet. I mean, I have met Ali McCoy. I met him in Bennett's one night, which was uh, a long time ago. And Is that why just, you're so fond of him? Well, it was. It, we used to get tickets when I was at uh, when I was at uni, and, and we get tickets for the Thursday night, which apparently was the street night, and I'm that's my defence, right? So, but and we went along because we would get the tickets for Hee Haw, and they would do kind of drinks promotions. But when we went along on the Thursday, McCoyst was in there with uh, Mark Walters and Stuart Monroe, so we had uh, we saw kind of a couple of exchanges. Obviously, we didn't want to plague the guy, so I have kind of. I had a very brief exchange with him, but that was my chance to go mm-hmm. have a few beers with him, which I, I told him to go and fuck off. Because so. <laughs> John Gregg famously said that, didn't he? He's had two chances to sign for Rangers, he'll never have a third, and then we did sign him from Sunderland. So, well, if I ever see Ali, I'll, I'll, I'll remind him of that story. And, and the, Aye, the don't tell me fuck gone. off. <laughs> no, no, I'll apologise for that. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be gracious enough to say, sorry, Ali, I mis- misjudged you. <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's pretty much it. So, Walter Smith. Um, I think Watty, I only ever, the only time I've ever spoke to Watty was uh, again on a, another wee European adventure when we went down to Manchester when we played them in the Champions League. So we were on the Blues Brothers bus from the south side. I mean, I, I think it's uh, is it uh, Shawlands or something that. So we managed to get a couple of seats on the bus. We had we had we had already arranged the tickets. So went down there and we stopped at Southway at one of those uh, service stations and we went into the service station and, and Walter was sitting there with a few guys, I think either, I think one was his son, uh, but I don't know who the other guys were. So anyway, Walter's, they're just getting up to leave as, as we're coming in and I, I me being a dafty, I had to say something. So anyway, I said to Walter, Walter, do you do you think we've got a chance? And he, and he just kind of looked at me with a kind of almost contempt and says, Rangers have always got a chance. And they just walked away from me. And I felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> that Walter Smith death there in the person must have been terrifying. Aye, because, well, do you think we've got a chance, Walter? Rangers have always got a chance and walked away from me. And I thought, mm, maybe I should have said something else. <laughs> drink <laughs> another coffee Walter so that was my, my one and only exchange with Walter Smith but he was on his way down to the game obviously and, and I think Fergie let us off the hook that night we got cuffed 3-0 and Van Nistelrooy had scored a couple and I think they were about 3-0 up gosh it was early doors of it wasn't it in the first half it was very early in the second he then just started uh, making substitutions I think he let us off the hook because I, they would have pulverised us that night had they put their mind to it so you know. But Old Trafford, I wasn't that impressed with Old Trafford as a stadium. It says kind of a canoish. I just love the fact that you can get a pint at the game. That's uh, fucking alien <laughs> to me, obviously. Um, I've, I've never known otherwise, but nah, I know what you mean. So, you'd finishing off there, you'd be going out for a pint to talk about all your stories, you know, your time following Rangers with Super Alley and Sir Walter Smith. It's a good night out there. Oh, it would be, yeah, that would be nice, yeah. I, I, I mean, could you imagine McCoy and, and, and Super, what the tales they could tell you? That, do you know, I'd want to ask them about the nine in a row, you know, who who were the dafties and just give me some of the, the background stories and, and, and all the antics you get into. Uh, oh, well. So, Davey, 10 questions done and dusted. How was that? Eh... Uh, cathartic for me you know because uh, I mean there's there's calling it to be honest there's, we should do a programme in the, in the game into Dublin because that was uh, some day out uh, I can assure you well it wasn't it was more than a day out because 
after the game in Dublin, we went to Belfast and we went to the Linfield Shamrock Rovers game in the European Cup the, the following night. So we, we, we had a tour and Dublin was uh, was nuts. That's okay. why, and I now know, if I have first-hand experience, why Rangers will never be back in Dublin because that's the closest I've been to a war zone in, in my life. It was... Uh, so, well, don't spoil the listeners too much because I know Chris Paul does have something lined up where we're going to have a, a show dedicated to European away trips and experiences. Just on Dublin, um, uh, some of the listeners don't know. Uh, my, my partner was in Dublin, so I'm over. I'm I'm back and forth to Dublin every couple of weeks, and my one of my first times out with the locals and folks she works with. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was being funny, and instead of saying how long you lived in Dublin for, I said how long have you lived in West Britain, and that sank like a lead fucking balloon, Davy. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Jimmy, was it uh, Jimmy Carr? Is that is the comedian's name? Yeah. When he, he was in a concert in Dublin, and his opening line was, you know, I think Ireland should be unified. You know, when you get a big cheer, and then yeah. he says, under British rule. And like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and got, oh, we got a big groan for that one. <laughs> well, and I know Davy has been, and I'm not just saying this, I said it, I said it to you before we started recording, I was genuinely looking forward to this, and you didn't disappoint. Thank you for telling me all your tales, eh, following Rangers. No problem, Colin. Thank you for uh, listening to all my nonsense. Eh? It was, eh, it's, it's good fun and, and good fun recollecting some of the, the, the madness. I mean, there's uh, there's loads of other stuff. As you, as you said, you know, we can do programmes and, and, and individual trips for some of the carry-ons. PSG, I mean, don't get me starting that. <laughs> so, and a massive thank you to all the listeners as always. Um, and just a call to arms. We've all got our stories and all all got our, our memories and the moments that mean something to us. If you want to come on and talk about your time following Rangers, answer these 10 questions. We'd love to have you on. Um, it doesn't matter if you're part of a young team and 55 was your first title or if you're like Davey and you've been... You're, you're fairly long in the tooth following Rangers. Get in touch. We'll get you on. We'd love to hear from you. That's all from us. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and we are the people.